Very glad to be here. I'm very glad to be a part of this church. I can't get over the fact of that, even though it's been a year since we've been coming here, I just really appreciate being amongst you, and I really hope that uh, God will use this, use me this morning. I'm privileged to be able to to speak, and uh, I hope He gets the glory. Um, I'm very encouraged by all your prayers. I really appreciate. Thank you for praying for me, and all your kind words this morning. And I'm encouraged too because the first song times in with my message and words that Brother Jeff said that does too. So I'm expecting God to do something here. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we do expect you to, to do something here today. We are your people. This is your church. And we know you're here with us. And so we pray that you would open our eyes to the wonderful things in your word, Lord, and help us to see them. And may our lives produce the fruit and joy in your heart as a result. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 8, we'll be looking at verses 16, 16 through 20. Actually, I will be reading 16 through 20. I'm going to focus on the last half of verse 20, but we want some context here. <clears throat> Starting in verse 16 then, it says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's they're great words. They're very comforting words, aren't they? How many of you would be okay if we re removed the last half of that last verse without him being with us? Now, we wouldn't want to lose any of Scripture, would we? But what if he hadn't said it? Would it make a difference? Well, let's see. Why did he say it? If we, let's consider the context first, right? So th this is after the resurrection. And if you think back over the last three years, Jesus had walked with these guys. And he literally he just turned their worlds upside down, turned their thinking upside down, didn't he? Or actually, if we think about it correctly, he straightened their thinking, put it right side up. He taught them as one as having authority, didn't he? And he performed miracles. He raised the dead. He rebutted the Jewish leaders, didn't he? He challenged them for the things that they were doing. But then the disciples saw them walk, saw him walk straight into their hands and be crucified. And they were devastated. But then he rose from the dead. That's a lot of stuff to take in in three years, don't you think? Talk about life-changing experience. So after all they'd seen, heard, and done with him, you know how you go through trials with people, it tends to bond you with them, doesn't it? They were definitely bonded with him. And if you think about it, they had been with someone who does not sin for three years. Someone whose love was real. There was no question 
about his motives, who expressed that love and truth and grace. He was absolutely wonderful. And now he's leaving, and they don't want to see him leave, would you? He gives them the Great Commission. Great indeed. Think about what he's saying. Go to all the nations. Teach all that he commanded. Do this without him? After all the failures? With the Roman and the Jewish leaders opposed? How could they do that? So he says to them, I am with you always. When we hear a statement like this, we tend to think of it in a general sense, don't we? Oh, I'll always be with you. Someone, we see this in the movies or even our own life, you know, someone is going to go away or perhaps they're dying, you know, and it's, it's okay, I'll be with you always. But, the, but that, that's not what they mean, really, is it? It's not literal, is it? What it means is, is you have the memory of the person with you always, doesn't it? And that's nice, but it's just not the same as having them, is it? Well, I'm happy to tell you that that's not what Jesus meant. And we can see this is if we look at, I'm going to look at a few versions of, of the last half of verse 20 um, and see how it, what it's really saying to us. In the International Standard Version, it reads, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you and remember I am with you each and every day until the end of the age. Ah, that's much better, isn't it? The Aramaic Bible in plain English says, and, and behold, I am with you every day, even unto the end of time. That's good, isn't it? Correlates with the, uh, corresponds with the first one. Then in the uh, Weymouth New Testament, it says, and remember, I am with you always, day by day, until the close of the age. We all agree. It's not a general statement he's making. But I want to read you my favorite version of this verse, favorite explanation, and it comes from the Amplified Bible, Matthew 28, 20. If you don't have an Amplified Bible, it's an awesome Bible to use and study because sometimes it explains hard passages that are difficult to understand, and then in passages like this, it really opens it up so you can see what it's really saying. It says, teaching them... To observe you, to, to, to observe everything that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. So I, I just love to tear things apart like this and, and dig into it. So the first thing he says is, I'm with you always, remaining with you, which means permanent presence, doesn't it? Remaining with you perpetually, it means not only permanent, but continuous. That's kind of redundant. God's trying to make a point here, isn't it? Don't you love it? Remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, means not just blessings, right? But his presence and power during the dark times. And if that's not enough, he says, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, and on every occasion. Really, Lord, every day, through everything, every circumstance, and on every occasion, even to the end of the age, he says, even to the end of the age. You satisfied with that? Isn't that great? 
Could he do more? Well, the reality is, and sometimes we feel this way, and some argue, well, God is invisible, and it'd be a lot easier if I could just see him. I might ask you, where is your faith? But instead, let's try to look at it from a, a bigger perspective. Let's think about it from the big picture. God is invisible to us, isn't he? But long before we were created, he existed. He has always existed. He was never born. He didn't need to be born. And he created the angels. We can't see them either. But we have experienced their work in our lives, haven't we? We read stories of them in the Bible. They've been around a long, long time, and there are countless numbers of them, and they are great, great spiritual beings. So this invisible spiritual realm that we cannot see, that we complain about not being able to see, has been around a long time. And in God's, in God's sake, he's, he's been around forever. And how long has this tiny little visible universe been around? Maybe 6,000 years? So you compare it. The invisible has been around a whole lot longer than we are. And I remember in Colossians that it says that in him all things are being held together, aren't they? I was privileged to hear a scientist talk about this and talk about, you know, the scientists do not understand how things are really held together. When you get down to the core of it, they just don't know. Uh, but we know because it says so. God's holding everything together. So this one who says he's perpetually with us, this is the one who is holding all things together. He is the invisible one, but he is very, very real. <clears throat> he does not sleep. He does not take breaks. He doesn't go on vacations, and he never has a substitute fill in for him. No, it's him and him alone who's with us, always. One of my favorite hymns is Day by Day, and it talks about this. It says, every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All, his care, all my cares he fain would bear and cheer me, he whose name is Counselor of Power. And then the last half of the verse, which usually chokes me up when I sing it, especially because the music that goes with it is very moving. It says, the protection of his child and treasure is a charge on himself he laid. As thy days, thy strength shall be in measure. This the pledge to me he made, which he did not have to do. If God didn't do anything more for me from now through the rest of eternity, he's already done for more, more for me than he already should have. But he's there, and he cares, and he's very real. He's more real than the person sitting right next to you. There is more evidence and proof that he exists than I do. So, when I think about this verse, if he's really here like he says he is, what is it we want to do? How do we apply this? This is normally a very comforting verse, isn't it? God is always with us. He's there to take care of us. I'm comforted by that. I'm strengthened by that. But it's more than that. If he's really there, what I want to do is practice his presence, his very real presence. That's the title of the message today, Practicing God's Presence.
What a friend we have in Jesus. Because he's a real friend, he, and he really is there. But often, too often, we live and move forgetting that. And so I want to encourage us today to move the other direction. And the scripture tells us how to do this in, 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 a, one, in a couple of verses. They're not always thought of this way, but walk with me through it and see what you think. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Everybody knows what it says, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So the tendency of the verse is to use it for planning, isn't it? You know, I need to know what to do, where to go. Well, trust in the Lord with all your heart. He'll direct your paths, right? It's not typically a verse we think about when we're in trouble or just day-to-day -day kinds of things, is it? But I want you to look in this verse, and it uses that wonderful word, all. And I love that. I love to see the alls in Scripture. We could claim this for everything, couldn't we? How do you appropriate it? Well, the other word in, this, in these verses is the word acknowledge. And I, and I pursued that hard. What does that mean to acknowledge the Lord? Because that's the key. That's the door opener to getting the path made straight, isn't it? The word translates to the word know. John Gill, a commentator, uh, in commenting about this, he says, On all thy ways acknowledge him, or know him, know the Lord. Set him before you, have him always in view. Consider him as ever-present with you, observing every step you take, and take not one step without his leave and without his advice. Ask him wisdom who gives liberally. Yes, know God. So, it's not talking about coming to know God, isn't it? Is it? it, it it's, it's knowing God. We already know Him through our relationship with Him. So what else does it mean? To know that He cares. To know that He knows best. To know that He knows exactly what we are going through, exactly at this moment. To know that He'll keep His promise. To know that He's not leaving. To know that He is here, now, with me wherever I am. It's Psalm 46.1 from the Amplified Bible again. It says, God is our refuge and strength, mighty and impenetrable. Listen to this in this part. A very present and well-proved help in trouble. I love that. A very present help. We don't have to go looking for God. We don't have to wonder if he's here because he is. They couple that with uh, John 15.5 where Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. A key reason why we need to practice his presence, why? Because I can't do anything without him, not if I want to do it right. It's his will that we're dependent on him, therefore it's his will that we stay connected with him as absolutely as much as possible. I'd like to, to, to give you a couple of real live examples of this, and one of these stories is actually some of the inspiration for this message. The first story um, has to do with a guy named Eric Little. You've heard of him probably. He was uh, 
who is made really known through the movie Chariots of Fire, which happens to be my favorite movie. I love to see God moving in Eric's life in that movie. I, I can't watch it without, without tears. So Eric Little made quite a, uh, an impact on the world when he was alive and even has to this day. Sally Magnuson, an author who's not a believer, somehow came across Eric's story. And the more she dug in about him, the more she was amazed by his life. And she ended up writing a, bi a biography about him. And she's not even a Christian. But there's a, there's a small part in the, in the beginning of Eric's story that most people don't know about um, that started his evangelistic career before the big races happened. There was a Scottish evangelist named D.P. Thompson who was having real difficulty reaching a certain group of people in Scotland. It was the, um, these blue-collar laborers in Scotland. He had a hard time getting them to come and listen uh, to, to him speak. But he knew that they would listen to Eric. The question was is whether Eric would do it or not. And Eric's brother told Thompson, you know, I don't know, he's never done anything like this before. So Thompson went to Eric, where Eric was living at the time, studying uh, and going to college, and he presented the question to Eric, you know, would you be willing to come to Armadale and speak to these men? And Eric just said, you know, just a minute, he put his head down, and he looked up and he says, yes, I believe I will. And just as Thompson figured it would happen, hordes of people came and listened to Eric. But the point in that story is, is that Eric didn't wait till he had his quiet time to ask God. He didn't wait till he got to a prayer meeting to bring it up in a prayer meeting. Um, he stopped right then and there to ask the Lord, what is your will, God, in this manner? And God has answered. And you think, is it possible to walk that close with God? You think about it. He saved us for what? For a relationship with him. I've never read in the Bible where he puts any limits on that. We can walk as close to him as we are willing. The second story um, I, want, I want to tell you about and uh, what brought this message really on my heart, I've been thinking about this since the beginning of the year. And it started when I heard one of the testimonies from the New Year's testimony thing that we do at the beginning of the year. And this one has to do with the story that, that Janie was telling us. I don't know if you remember what she said, but we all remember that she moved to Manteca, right? And that was a, it was a big trial for her to have to do that, to have to live that far away and drive that road, right? So you remember she told the story, and I'm going to rearrange her sentences a little bit if you go back and listen to it, because I want you to really get the sense of what was really going on in the situation that she was going through when she did what she did. So she's with the hordes of cars going up the Altamont Pass, going to Manteca, and there's a grass fire there, which often happens, I understand. I never thought too much about it, but the grass fires there can get kind of big. There's a lot of grass, a lot of hills to burn. Well, the problem was, and I hadn't heard of this before either, but the fire was so big and hot, it jumped the road. So you get fire on the other side of the road. And so apparently, in this situation, all the cars got to come to a stop, and you immediately have the Altamont parking lot. <clears throat> Not a great situation on its own, but really bad when there's a lot of fire around, a lot of heat. It's a big problem. 
And in fact, the, the, the guy, and Janie wasn't on one of the, uh, the end lanes, she was kind of in the middle, but the guy next to her was on the, on the, on the side lane, and uh, the heat was so bad that the paint on his car blistered, and his tires melted, and he had to get out of his car. So does Janie panic. Scream for help, you know, get out of her car and run the other way. Make some kind of foxhole prayer, questioning the Lord's presence. Lord, where are you? Don't, can't you see what's happening? Or, or questioning his care. Lord, don't you care? You know what Janie does? Janie says this, Lord, I know you are here. There is nothing I can do, but I know you are able. Lord, I know you are here. I love that. I've not been able to stop thinking about that. I know you are here. But what do you think happened? Well, you heard the story. They got the fire out and Janie could go on. <clears throat> Lord, I know you are here. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Hmm? I love that. I'm gonna, actually, there's a, a second story that Janie told, a real quick one, where she was driving on that mountain and she's in a center lane again. Gotta stay out of that center lane, Janie. And she got cars on either side of her, and they're coming around this curve, and there's a chair right in the middle of her lane. And that's a problem, because that could mean an accident, doesn't it? And what does she do? Lord, I need a miracle. Where is she going to go? Well, I don't know what happened to the car on her right, but it went away, and she could get around. But do you get what's happening there? It isn't the deliverance, it's that... She talked to God like he was sitting there with her. Do you see what I'm saying? We don't often think of God being that close, but he really is. I love that. One more story. <clears throat> John Fletcher, uh, who was part of the Methodist church in the 1700s, it says, he stained the walls of his room by the breath of his prayer. Sometimes he would pray all night. His whole life was a life of prayer. I would not rise from my seat, he said, without lifting my heart to God. His greeting to a friend upon meeting him was, did I meet you praying? Okay, well, we think all night praying? That's monumental, very difficult. I've only done it once. But think about it. Sometimes this word prayer makes it, it's like a, a uh, I don't want to say a wall between us and God, but it makes it very impersonal. Prayer is nothing more than talking to God, isn't it? That's what it is. Well, wouldn't you want to spend all night talking to God? Don't you think that if you pursued him and you made the effort that he would make it worth your while? That's not what I'm here to talk about. That. So, well, if, if he's willing to do that, why not talk to him all day? I don't mean every moment of the day, but as much as possible, just remembering his continuous presence all day long. Do you see what I'm saying? We, I remember when I first got saved, the guy who led me to the Lord, 
we were talking one day, he says, yeah, it's like almost the whole day can go by with so much work and so much to do, and I don't even think of God during that time. I've got to find a way to do that. I don't want to forget him. I don't want to work as if he's not here. I want to remember his presence because sometimes we really need it. Well, think of John Fletcher's story. I'm going to change the word prayer to the word talk. Now listen to how it comes out. John Fletcher stained the walls of his room by the breath of his words from talking to God. Sometimes he would talk to God all night. His whole life was a life of talking to God. I would not rise from my seat, he said, without lifting my heart to God. His greeting to a friend always when meeting them was, did I meet you talking to God? Okay, so whether you look at Eric or Janie or um, John Fletcher, I mean, don't you want a closer walk with God? I do. I'd like a closer walk, as close as I could get. And one of the keys, I believe, to doing that is practicing his presence, realizing that he is with me all the time. And there isn't anything he's not interested in. And there isn't anything he doesn't want to help me with. He doesn't have to practice our presence, obviously. (laughs) He doesn't have to practice anything. He's good at everything that he does. We, on the other hand, we tend to forget him, don't we? I mean, you think of this, this table in front of us here, right? What did he have to say this to us? Do this in remembrance of me? Because we would forget, don't we? <clears throat> well, I want to practice this. I think you should want to practice this too. Practicing his presence until it becomes second nature, until it becomes like breathing, like John Fletcher did. We often say that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. But do we really behave like that? Do we live like we are in a relationship with this invisible person who's really next to us, huh? Yes, if God is really present and I'm in a relationship with him, then I I want to acknowledge that presence as often as I can. I want to remember that he's there. And why wouldn't I when you think about how great he is and how wonderful he is? I mean, you think about those, those New Year's testimonies. I love it. Adel, Adel was, was concerned about how much time it would take, but I, I said to him, I said, you know what? It's really something what a whole church full of people, can, each person can get up and deliver a sermon on God and what he's done in their lives. That's, that's, that's really something. That said something about the God who's here and the people who are willing to do what he says. And I want his presence in my life because his presence makes a difference, doesn't it? Do you not think that you would live a more holy life if you knew God was right there? You think about it, the difference certain people in our lives make or in our country or in our world just because of who they are or something they've done. I mean, here we got the warriors doing like they did, you know. So imagine a school where you've got a bunch of kids in a school and you know, they're not happy about being in school. They don't want to be there. Like, they'd like, they wish they were home playing or something like that until, you know, Stephen Curry walks into the room. And then they're very glad they're at school, aren't they? It changes their whole attitude, doesn't it? You think about somebody uh, a little more prominent in history, like George Washington. Can you imagine? What he did and what he went through and what he represented... When he walked into a room full of people, how do you think the people responded? There were probably people who just looked at him in awe as he walked by, you know, had a big effect on their presence. <clears throat> I 
What would you do right now if Jesus Christ walked into the room? Something to think about. Because he doesn't have to. He's already here. It should have an effect on us when we think about it. If we're acknowledging, if we're remembering he's here or wherever we are. It makes a difference, doesn't it? And if you think about it, if the rapture happens fairly soon, you realize we're going to be here one second, and in the next second, we're going to be with him. Some people said, what do you want to be doing? What do you want to be found doing when the Lord returns? Well, I hope I'm talking to him. (laughs) That would be awesome. So we have to learn to practice his presence. Um, And practice is something we have to work at, effort, like was being mentioned earlier. There's an effort, there's a plan, there's a a drive involved in trying to do that, trying to remember the Lord's presence in my life. And I remember when I was a young Christian, there was um, one person, and you've probably heard of this before, but he he talked about try using prayer points. You know what prayer points are? On my computer monitor at work, I have this post-it note, and I have it, I have some numbers written on there, 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m., 6 p.m. So while I'm at work all day, it reminds me, oh, I, I, I want to talk to the God at least at those points during the day so I don't forget him. But what I'm, not t- what I'm talking about today is not prayer points. It's more than that. It's praying point by point, remembering God throughout my day and in everything. When my car gets low on gas, I pray. Even if I'm, I think I can make it to the station, I tell them, you know what, Lord, I pray that I am going to get gas on time in my car. I know it'll be okay, but I'd rather trust you than me. <laughs> what about other things that are not so spiritual? Why do we have to talk to God only in our spiritual matters? Can you talk to the Lord when you're doing laundry? Changing diapers? Writing reports? having meetings, going shopping. I often pray for my wife that when she goes shopping that, that she'll find good deals. And she does. <laughs> I think he just made her really, really good at it. <laughs> you pray about everything? Yeah. It, it, you know, the Bible says to give thanks in everything, right? I think that means everything. So even if you're not asking for something, you could be thanking God for something. Being thankful has a huge effect on our lives. It really changes my attitude when I thank God, even for something that's hard that I'm going through. It just changes my whole attitude. See his presence, see see what he does, can do to you if you acknowledge his presence and remember that he's there. In all your ways acknowledge him. Does he really want to be involved that much? Well, he wouldn't use the word all if he didn't. So, I want to see God everywhere in my life, but it's kind of hard, isn't it? Well, it's not if you take the right perspective. And I want to use an illustration really quick here to show you just how much his hand is everywhere before us in the world as we're living. You know when the tribulation comes that it's going to be really bad here. It'd be better not to be born than live through the tribulation. God is going to remove his saints from the world, isn't he? We're the light of the world, isn't it? Aren't we? Click, 
the light's going to go off. What do you think it's going to be like to be here? You think bad things are happening now. We haven't seen anything yet. But step back to the day before the rapture happens. Why wasn't all of that evil happening? Can't you see that God is restraining probably most of the evil that could happen in this world? If that's true, everywhere I look, in every TV pro, uh, news program I watch, God is somehow keeping it from being worse than it is. And you think, well, some of these things could be a lot worse. No, you, they could be a lot worse. Everything could be a lot worse. My purpose in telling you that is then, as you look around and see what's going on, especially in our country right now, his, can you see that his hands really are everywhere? They really are restraining a lot. At the same time, as you know, he works all things together for the good. So not only is he restraining evil, but he's also engineering circumstances to achieve his will in people's lives. Because for us, he's working everything together for the good, isn't it? But it's the same for the unbeliever. The only thing is, is he wants them to be saved, right? He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So how do you think that's going to happen? He's pursuing them. He pursued me, he pursued you, right? So if we open up our eyes of faith, he's very active in the world that we live in, isn't he? Very active. In fact, everywhere we look, he's involved, if we look at it the right way. So I want to think about some more uh, examples of how we might do that. And these are just a few that probably more relate to my own world, but think about your life too. When I get on in the morning at 2.38 to catch 8.80 to go Union City to go to work, one of the things I like to pray for first is this, as I get out there and all the cars are jockeying for position, Lord, help us this morning in this commute to drive safely and efficiently, so much so that people would, some people would wake up a little bit and realize the riches of your kindness, according to Romans, and it would cause them to repent. Uh, and Lord, see that guy that just cut me off? The reason he did that is probably because he doesn't know you. He has no interest in doing the right thing. He's living, living totally for self. I pray for his salvation, Lord. And Lord, if it happens to be one of your people that just did that, well, Lord, I, I, I pray they get pricked to the heart and they repent. There's no way they're going to come back and apologize to me, but I sure pray the rest of their day will be different. Or I'm having to go talk to a person in the office, this person, we all have them in our places of business, or even our neighborhoods, our neighbors, you've got to go talk to this person, and they're one of those difficult people to deal with. And as you're walking, you know, your, your feet are becoming like lead because you don't want to do it. And I, I can pray instead, Lord, I need to conduct business with person, this person, and I really want your will to be done. I need your help and your blessing. But I pray for even more in that. This person probably doesn't have a lot of friends because of the way they are. I pray you'd help me bond them, make a connection between me and them. Hopefully, Lord, that someday they might be willing to hear the gospel. A report, uh, some of us have to do reports. Reports can be tedious and boring. I have to do a particular report 
for, uh, I have some ultra-low freezers in my place of business, and they're supposed to run in a particular temperature range, and when they go out of that range, I got like four pages I have to write. Everybody knows that that temperature range is too restrictive, but it's too political to do anything about it, so we write reports. And I can take a bad attitude about that, can't I? Or I could say, Lord, I, I need to do this. This is the job you gave me. You've blessed me. You've taken care of me through this. I want to do everything as unto you. I want to do this report. I want to do it right. I want to do it well. I want to end on time. And I want a clear testimony to my fellow coworkers that even in the hard things, I'm going to do it with a good attitude. Amen. So whether it's, you know, maybe you have to meet with a crew, like I do sometimes, or some of you moms, you've got to teach kids, you know, just like Nehemiah, you're, Lord, I want to do this and do this well for you. And when you get into the middle of the teaching or the presentation that you might have to do and it gets tough, be like Nehemiah again, Lord, shoot up a prayer, talk to him. He's there. Very willing, very present help in time of trouble. I'm going to share with you a quickly uh, a short story that something happened to me when I was a young believer. I was trying to repair an alternator on my car. An alternator keeps the battery charged. If it doesn't work, the car doesn't work. It runs out of electricity. And I hadn't really done it before, and I was having all kinds of trouble, and I couldn't get it done. And I didn't want to get upset, you know? Bang my knuckles a few times. Some of you guys know how that is, knuckle-banging knuckle jobs. They really hurt. And uh, I did not want to lose my sanctification in that. And, and I just, Lord, can you help me put this in? And it was like, beep, done. If it, as, a, as a young believer, I was, I was moved by that. You know why? Because here's a little thing that God is helping me with. And he doesn't have to do that. It seems like, well, you're awfully great, God. You have better things to do. But no. And it touched my heart because he wanted to help. And it gave me a very great sense of his closeness in that matter. I never forgot that. See, so here today, 20, 30 years later, talking about it. Talk with the Lord more. We do that in new relationships, don't we? When the new relationships get old, we don't talk so much. But it doesn't have to be that way with God, right? Because it's always great with him. In my, in my early years as a Christian, I remember we used to pray about everything. We used to pray so much that one day I found myself in a conference room at work with a room full of people just having a meeting about some stuff and solve some problems. And then the meeting ended and I dropped my head to pray. And, and but then I quickly realized, oh yeah, I'm not at church or with other believers. <laughs> but it was kind of encouraging. Thought, wow, I'm really praying a lot. That's a good thing, don't you think? Have you? So praying, to talking to the Lord during the day is not just about needs though, okay? We want to be careful about that. A relationship with God is just not about service and learning lessons, although those are important. But understand, you are not a spiritual project to God. You are a person that he deeply cares about, and he wants to help you through these things. But it's through a relationship, not an experiment. Don't feel like that. Sometimes we get too focused on, I got to do this for God, I got to do that for God. You can't do anything for God unless you've got, you're like this with him first. And when you're like this with him, things go a whole lot better.
At any point yesterday, did you tell the Lord you love him? Do you spend any time outside of your quiet time saying nice things to him? I love Psalm 104. David wrote this. He says, Oh Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as with a garment. Who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. Can you imagine thinking about God like that? I imagine some of you do. There are experiences we have that cause us to think that way. And we ought to practice that more and talk to God more. Give him the praise, the compliment, so to speak. I have a friend at work who's kind of like this. You know, there's a few of us believers at work, and sometimes we sit in a conference room and talk together, and this brother Dan, he'll just start praying just out of nowhere and start talking to the Lord. I wish I was more like that. That's why I'm working on this. (laughs) So start your day with him. Talk to him and listen to him. And then go out in your day and talk to him and listen to him. Okay, there's so much more I could say, but I don't have time. But I just want to uh, mention a couple of things. Um, first of all, Janie's testimony about you know, driving over the, the Altamont and her response, her action in that, that was an inspiration. And I think that's something to be copied. I don't think you need to copy the words exactly, Lord, I know you are here. It's not a formula thing that you want to get into, but to really recognize, God, you really are here. You really do care. And I've been trying to practice that since I've heard it. One of the other things that I have found very helpful that I'll share with you as well is we were at Debbie's house for lunch one day, and she gave some of us gifts. She gave us a devotional book called Jesus Calling. I love my utmost for his highest. I've been reading it for over 20 years. My copy is just falling apart. And I'm sure some of you read it too. I think I like this book just as much. It brings a real personal touch to walking with God, and I encourage you to check it out. Last couple of things I want to say is this. Ian Bounds said, the men who have most fully illustrated Christ in their character and have most powerfully affected the world for him have been men who spent so much time with him that it was a notable part of their lives. I want to be like that. I want to be used of God like that, don't you? So there's, we have our prayer time, but I want to remember God all day long. So let Jesus be the first thing on my mind in the morning when I get up and the last thing on my mind at night when I go to sleep. And at every point in between, let me be found talking to him as much as possible. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we know you are here and we know you care. Lord, we know that you care more about us than we can possibly understand or measure. We are so grateful, Lord, that what it is that you desire with us is a relationship and to walk with us. We think of people like Enoch who walked with you, and that time must have been so treasured to you that you just decided to take him. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would take this to heart. We would want to be found connecting with you all day during the day and let you make the difference in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.